We have been in Philippians for a long time. We've been in Philippians since, I don't know, this is the 13th message in Philippians. Love this little letter. Love the fact that you can read something for years and then really dive in deep and realize you didn't know as much about it as you maybe thought. The first slide there is a lie. I thought I would do verses 10 to 23 today, but I only got as far as verse 13 and I had to quit. I thought this is, uh, this is going to be too long. So uh, we'll still be in Philippians next week. Let me read verses 10 to 13. Paul is writing to a church that he loves, a group of people that have blessed him, and helped him maybe more than any of the other churches that he planted. And he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. That sounds a bit cheeky, but I'll explain it in a minute. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And may it... Bless us, encourage us, may it be mixed with faith as we hear it. May your spirit be at work along with your word, achieving great things in our hearts, in our lives, in this community of faith. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for one another and the opportunity to be together. And we ask that you would just bless us with your presence. Amen. Amen. So Paul is in prison. And when you're in prison uh, under the, the Roman prison system, you did not get three meals a day. You didn't have a pool table and Sky TV in your cell. You basically didn't eat unless some of your mates brought you food or brought money to buy you food. You didn't get a change of clothes unless some of your mates brought you a change of clothes. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians because a fellow called Epaphroditus has brought a gift from the Philippian Christians to Paul in prison, probably in Rome, so that he can eat and have some of his physical needs met. That's the, the reason initially for the letter being written. But Paul can't just write a wee thank you card. <laughs> He starts talking about Jesus, and he just can't stop, and he ends up with four chapters that we know as the letter to the Philippians. I think the start of verse 10 sounds a bit cheeky. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. That's, I don't know about you, but that sounds a bit like, you lot forgot about me. I've been here for ages, and none of you did anything about it. But the reality is they didn't know. They obviously didn't have communication systems that we have today, they didn't know of his situation until Epaphroditus went to them. And when they heard about the situation Paul was in, they very quickly dug into their pockets and they gathered up, even though they were not wealthy, 
they gathered up a financial gift to send back to Paul. So it's not that they just ignored him and didn't bother helping him out. They didn't know. And once they did know and they did get an opportunity, they took it. Now Paul says something really interesting in these verses. I have learned the secret of being content. Now, I love Paul. I love Jesus. I love Paul. Not as much as Jesus. I think Paul is possibly the greatest human being in all of history and the most influential human being in all of history. The way he wrote about Jesus, the way he established the early church and taught them how to follow Jesus, I just think the guy is amazing. And whenever Paul says, I've got a secret to tell you, I'm all ears. I want to hear it. Especially if it's a secret about contentment. Because contentment is an elusive thing. Here's a, a excerpt from the Guardian newspaper in early 2020. For the first time since the Office for National Statistics started measuring well-being, indexes of both life satisfaction and the feeling that things done in life are worthwhile have declined significantly. People are not satisfied. People do not think the stuff that they do is worthwhile. The measure of contentment fell for the first time in the quarter to autumn 2019. That's not, you can't blame COVID for that. That's pre-COVID. The measure of contentment, whatever way the Office of National Statistics carry out their surveys and measure the general contentment of the nation for the first time since they started doing that, it is falling. People are not content. Are you content? Anybody say that they're 100% content, never moan and never complain and never think the grass is greener on the other side and all of that? There's nothing in Paul's life in terms of circumstances that would lead to contentment. He's in prison. He is on his own. We don't know whether he ever married or whether he was a widower, but he is very alone at this moment in prison. He's dirt poor, completely reliant on the goodness and the kindness of other people. There's nothing that, can, that Paul can look around that in his circumstances and say, I'm content. But yet he says, I know I have learned the secret of being content. And I'm all ears. Hopefully you are as well, just for the next few minutes to try and see what Paul has to say about it. What he says, first of all, is that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. It is not natural. It is not the default setting of human beings to be content. I get asked questions every day by the young gentleman on my left who uh, likes to know stuff. This morning's question, can I share this morning's question? You probably can't remember. This morning's question was, what is your favorite infinity stone? <laughs> For those of you that know what infinity stones are, this is the sort of stuff that you get quite a lot. Um, and yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yesterday's question was, why do babies cry? <laughs> and I, uh, I can't remember. It basically, the answer was because they want stuff. They want something. They want milk, or they want cuddles, or they... 
they're sore, or they're, you know, they cry because they want something. They're not content. Something is not the way they want it to be. We are born by default discontented. And contentment is not our normal setting as human beings. It is something that you have to learn. You have to learn. When you become a follower of Jesus, you do not get zapped by the Holy Spirit with a great big download of contentment that suddenly you're like, ah, I'm a Christian now. I'm content. It has to be learned. It is an, there is no spiritual gift of contentment. It is an ongoing process that develops. Paul says, I learned, I have learned to be content. And contentment is not the same, I don't believe, as peace. Whenever Paul talks in Galatians 5 and he lists the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those things that he lists is peace, I don't think that means me personally feeling a sense of inner peace. I think the fruit of the Spirit is about Christian community. And you cannot have the fruit of the Spirit on your own in isolation. So I think when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit is peace, I think what he's saying is in a Christian community where the Holy Spirit is working, there are peaceful relationships. Yeah? And this is, this is not what he's talking about here. This contentment is a personal thing that we have, but we have to learn it. Learning usually does not come easy. I speak as one who has you know, just said outside to, to these folks outside that's been 20 years now that I've been teaching. And uh, learning anything that's worthwhile usually is a challenge. And even in life outside of the educational setting, the things that we learn in life, we usually learn them because we go through the school of hard knocks. We usually learn them in a slightly painful way if we really are going to learn and remember stuff. Usually there's a bit of challenge and a bit of discomfort involved. And Paul says if you're going to learn content, or if you're going to be content, it is something you have to be willing to learn and grow in. It does not just magically appear. So that's the first thing that, that I see here. The second one, and this is where I'll linger a bit longer, is that contentment is not dependent on your circumstances. Listen to what Paul says. I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So Paul didn't just live his entire life dirt poor as he was now sitting in prison. Paul probably had quite a, not opulent, but a fairly comfortable upbringing. He would not have been able to access the education that, that we read about in Philippians 3 as a Pharisee. He, he wouldn't have been able to access that outside money. He probably had a reasonably comfortable background. So he knows what it's like to have plenty. He also knows what it's like to be in need. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. And this is a trap that so many people, both inside the church, outside the church, fall into thinking that contentment is determined by our circumstances. And it is a, a head matter if you try to live that way where there's something that you're running after 
that you felt will bring contentment. We have dogs. Dogs have beds. And in our house, the dogs have many beds all over the house, haven't they? You just never know where you want to find a dog sleeping. Uh, the dogs, this this sort of slightly scruffier one, uh, so there's a there's a, a bed by the cooker, which I think would be good enough. Uh, there's a bed by the fire. Um, there's there's just random pillows lying around the house in, in sunny spots near windows, and, and she can sleep there as well. There, she actually has a bed, a traditional dog bed that she likes to lie in upside down. There's one place that she is not allowed to sleep. And she spends half her life staring at the chair, okay, that catches the sunshine in the mornings. And she knows you'll be in the kitchen where the chair is in a different room, but you know just something outside, I want into that room, I want the chair. And she will sit and gaze at. And it is no different from Adam and Eve in the garden gazing at the one thing they were told you're not allowed to. You can eat from any tree you want, but you're not to eat from that one. What do they do? You know, you can sleep, dog, you can sleep any room, anything, you can sleep anywhere, but you're not sleeping there. What does she do? sits and at. We always, always, always want more. There's always something that's just out of reach. Always a carrot on a stick dangling in front of us that we cannot quite get at. I don't know how you would fill in the blank or Maybe, maybe now you wouldn't fill in a blank, but maybe five, ten years ago you would have filled it in. When I get blank, then I'll be content. Yeah? When I get whatever, then I'll be content. Goodness me, this is a trap that we fall into. And we burn ourselves out chasing after something. If only I was better educated. If only I had a better job. If only I was married, if only I had another house, a bigger house, or a second house, or if only I had whatever, then I would be satisfied. But let me tell you something. If you're not content at school, you will not be content at university. And if you're not content at school or university, you'll not be content when you get a job. And if you're not content in one job, you will not be content in a different job. And if you're not content living in one place, you will not be content living in a different place. And if you're not content single, you will not be content in a relationship because contentment is not about circumstances. All of those things are important things in our lives, but if we look to those things for contentment, we will continually be disappointed. We will continually want more. If we get what we want, we will want more. John D. Rockefeller, the guy with the big Christmas tree, or his, I'd say his skyscraper, I don't know when he built it, or I don't know the history of the guy at all, I assume he's not even alive anymore, but John D. Rockefeller with a big Christmas tree and the skating rink in Manhattan that you see in all the movies, he was asked, how much money is enough? Now, his wealth a long time ago scaled up to modern standards. People estimate he was probably worth over 200 billion. It's a lot. And he was asked famously, How much money, John, is enough? And his answer was, Just a little bit more. <laughs> no matter what you have, no matter what we get, 
there's always something more that we want to reach out for. Always. And, and this is where this is where comparison kicks in. Linda will sometimes use the phrase compare and despair. Whenever we look at what somebody else has or what they do or who they are, how well educated or how well paid or what sort of house they have, then we compare ourselves and we begin to think, you know, if I had that, I would have contentment. If I had a third jacket instead of just two, then I would be content. There's always another thing that we want when we compare ourselves to other people. For me, when I would have filled that in, I would have put in there probably oh, different things over the course of life, but probably about 18 months ago, I would have put in when I get more free time, I'll be content. I would have been, wouldn't have been stuck, never been that much into stuff. When I get more free time, then I'll be content. And I would have moaned about having to go out night after night, going to this and going to that, and leaving somebody here, picking somebody up there. And I just felt, do you know what? If, if I could just have a bunch of evenings that I didn't have to go out, then I would be content. <clears throat> and then COVID came. <laughs> and suddenly you didn't have to go out anymore. <laughs> everything stopped. And I mean, everything stopped. And like, no more leaving anybody here or leaving them there. You know, prayer meeting goes to Zoom, and, and you're now at home all the time, all the time. <laughs> and I remember having a moment after a month or two of that and realizing I still feel really busy. And all the things that I thought were creating discontent and busyness for me, they're all on hold or being done differently. And I still feel really, really busy. And I, I thought about it, and I remember one morning, just as I was sitting in the armchair, having the coffee, reading my Bible, pondering life, and this thought came to mind, and I do believe it was the Holy Spirit just influencing my thinking. I felt God say, business is not about the state of your calendar. Business is about the state of your heart. And with a pretty empty calendar, fairly demanding job in lockdown just that did overflow and take up a lot of time, but a pretty empty calendar, I still felt incredibly busy. And I realized that my busyness was a heart issue, that I had a busy heart, that I could not sit at peace, that I had to be doing the very stuff that I thought was bringing me discontentment because I was you know, run after so much, it was actually core identity thing for me that I had to be busy. I had to be doing things. And I really, I really had a bit of a rattle that morning. And as I reflected on that for time after that, that you've got a busy heart. And it wouldn't matter if your calendar is completely empty. The issue is a heart issue. And I thought about that and thought about contentment, and I think very similar. Contentment is not about the state of your circumstances. Contentment is about the state of your heart. It is a heart issue that will not be resolved by changing your circumstances. Now, with that, I'll bring a couple of disclaimers. I think when Paul is saying here to be content, 
that there's a secret to contentment, that, that it's not about our circumstances. I don't think he then would advise you, for example, if you're in a toxic, negative relationship, I don't think Paul would say, oh, you have to be content in that. You have to just stay in that toxic, negative environment that is wrecking your head and is bad for your health or whatever that, that you know, Bible says you need to be content. I don't think that's what he means. I think he's talking about provision. He's talking about possessions, material things. He's talking about food and clothing. He's talking about employment and, and houses. I don't think he's saying that if you're in a situation where you're being walked over and beat about the place, that you must stay there and pretend you're content. I don't believe that's what he means. And I do believe that some some people, you know, within the church, outside the church, just in general, some people have very, very difficult work circumstances where there is no work-life balance. They are not reasonably rewarded for their work. They are not treated with respect. I don't think Paul says you just need to content yourself and get on with it. I, I think Paul would advise if you can do something else, do it. He's not into staying in a toxic, negative situation that is going to do you damage. It's more about your personal contentment with what you have, that you're not constantly pining after more stuff, thinking it will make you happy. Because the more you have, the more you want. Isn't that true? God knew this, and he knew it so much that he put it twice in the ninth commandment. You shall not covet. First line. Second line. You shall not covet. Just make sure you get it. Because we live in a culture that's driven by covetousness. I learned this on an annual basis round about October. Whenever a thing would drop through the letterbox, and if I got there first, it straight away went into the recycling box, but it was the Smith's Toys catalog. <laughs> Other catalogs are available as well, just in case product placement is an issue. But it was the Smiths, you know, have you seen the Smiths toys, this phenomenon that comes through the door strategically around about late October? And all of a sudden, little children want things that they didn't previously want. <laughs> and start asking for stuff for Christmas, and you're like, really? <laughs> you've never ever wanted that before, but you've seen it in this magazine, and therefore you want it. And not only is there the Smiths catalog, but people know the price of everything because of Amazon and Argos. So instead of it being a case of, you know, can we can we go to you know a shop or, or, or whatever, it's like I've priced this on Amazon, I've priced it it's slightly cheaper on Amazon, and if we order it within the next 23 minutes, it'll arrive tomorrow. <laughs> we are in a culture that's just driven by wanting stuff. More stuff as quick as possible. That is covetousness. And so much of our commerce and business around us is driven by the desire for more. We have a discipleship question that we ask each other every now and again on a Tuesday night, a few of us. And the question is this, have you lacked integrity in your financial dealings or coveted something that does not belong to you? Now, there are about eight or nine questions that we ask each other. Some of them I find extremely difficult, and some of them I find extremely easy. This is an easy one. This is an easy one. And the reason it's an easy one is because if you've gone through a period in life when you just haven't had very much left over, once the bills are paid and the, and the, 
the food is bought. You go through this period of learning where Paul says about learning contentment, where you repeatedly have the experience of going into the shop, and you've all probably been there, and you're maybe there right now, and you lift something up, and you look and say, I want that. And then you think, and you're like, but I don't need it. <laughs> and back on the shelf it goes. And it's maybe only a cheap thing, but you're still just like, nah, I don't need it. And you learn sometimes periods of, of a wee bit of financial hardship, and when things are a wee bit tight, that can be really, really good for us. Because whenever you come out of that and you do have a little bit more, you don't go around buying kind of stuff that you don't actually need. You learn to value what you have and not to covet other things. I wonder if you ever prayed like this. This obviously features in the Lord's Prayer, but it comes from Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, I can pray the first bit of that, no problem. Give me, Don't give me poverty. <laughs> I can pray that with great vigor all day long. Lord, do not give me poverty. But don't give me riches. Goodness. <laughs> don't give me riches. Jesus said riches can be deceitful. Some people can handle riches, and some people cannot. And riches, wealth, can bring trouble. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, As for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. If somebody was to walk up in the car park there and give you a large quantity of money, you'd maybe do a few somersaults and, and smile and bounce home and clear your mortgage and, and various other things. But then you'd probably start to work. What do I do with the rest of this? What do I invest it in? Do I buy land or, or do I, or, you know, and, and suddenly it becomes a headache. Wealth and riches can be every bit as much and more of a headache than a bit of financial strain. So Paul says, that whole point is that Paul is telling us contentment is not determined by circumstances. Learn that well. And the last thing I want to pull out of this is that contentment has a name. This is a verse that has been misused, I think, a lot. This, I think, is a good translation of it. Uh, you will hear me mention a lot a guy called Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar from Regent College in Vancouver. I just love everything that he writes and teaches. He's brilliant. He was on the committee for the NIV. And he fought hard to get this changed when the NIV was updated in 2011. Because previously it said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And it became almost a defiant verse that people would quote out of context. Don't tell me I can't do that. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, it became a sort of a stamp your feet, throw the toys out of the palm. I'll do it because God will strengthen me, Jesus will strengthen me to do it. That's not what Paul said. In the context, Paul has, has just said, to back up, where is it? <coughs> oh, don't pictures again. He has said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all this. 
In other words, whatever circumstances I'm living in, it's not Paul stamping his feet and getting in somebody's face and saying, don't tell me I can't do this because I can't do this through him who gives me strength. No, what he's saying is, whether I am in plenty or in want, Jesus gives me the strength to do it, to get on with it. Whether I'm well fed and staying at the house of Lydia and Philippi, the, the, the wealthy seller of cloth in whose house the Philippian church would have initially met and maybe continued to meet. And if Paul was in town, Paul would have been looked after and well fed. She would have been a wealthy lady. He also knew what it was to be in prison and, and eating a few scraps. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I can do this. I can live under either circumstance because of Jesus who gives me strength. Do you understand the difference? Don't, don't rip the verse out of context and ram it in the face of someone who maybe suggests that, that you shouldn't do whatever you're planning to do. The context is no matter what is going on around me, those circumstances, whether I have what I want or I don't have what I want, whether I'm wealthy or poor, whether I've got a few shackles left over at the end of the month or whether the barrel is very, very empty. I can do, no matter what the circumstances are, I can do it because of Jesus who gives me strength to live through those circumstances. Every one of us, there's probably stuff, I don't just mean possessions, but there's probably something that we're yearning for. It could be change in a work situation. It could be change in a relationship situation. We probably all have things that we're yearning for that cause us a little bit of upset and trouble, turmoil within. And Paul says, Jesus allows us to live in contentment, even in those difficult times. There were guys around in Paul's time called Stoics, and they had a a teaching and a mindset of self-sufficiency. They would have basically gone around and said, I don't need any external help. These were not people with a lot of humility. They would have said, I don't need any external help. Within me, I've got everything I need to, to live and to navigate life. And they were very proud of their self-sufficiency, relying on their own strength. And Paul just turns it on his head and says, no, contentment is not found in self-sufficiency. Contentment is found in dependency on Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, in following Jesus. That is the only place where contentment can be found. And if your mind, and this is something I'd love you to learn, those of you that are that are younger in particular, you know, teenager or in your 20s or just at a point in life when it, when it looks like there's a lot out there ahead of you, do not fall for the lie that the next thing you get will bring you contentment. Otherwise, you're going to wake up someday in your 40s or in your 50s or whatever and realize you've wasted your life. I thank God that's not my story. <laughs> Learn it well. Don't burn up years and years chasing after things, trying to find contentment. He is enough. Christ is enough. He is the one who satisfies us. And when he is the center, then all other things fall down into their proper place. 
And when we worship him, which we're about to do, we keep on coming back to that reality. There are lots of reasons to, to worship Jesus. There are lots of reasons why corporately the people of God should worship and praise him and sing together and worship in other ways. One of the simple realities is it just keeps on bringing him back to the center as the source of our contentment. So we're going to do that now. Let's pray.